Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Jeff, are you ready? Yes, sir. Excellent. I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grumbacher. Dr. Jeff Gusky is a National Geographic photographer. He is an ER physician. He is an explorer and a professional speaker. Excited to have you on the show. Jeff, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. So I, I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I don't have a personal <laughs> life, <laughs> unfortunately. And, uh, and so I'm asking people to see danger differently. It's important because it can save us from self-destruction. And where I come from in saying that is these two lives. So I'm asking people to think like an ER doc, which is one of my lives, and to think like an explorer who has walked the ground of remote corners of Eastern and Western Europe and the former Soviet Union, where millions of people have died in modern times when anarchy unraveled civil societies. So uh, the mindset is to question everything, ask what am I seeing, what does this mean? And, and to realize as an explorer with an expertise on anarchy, that there are really bad people in the world, human predators, and uh, we are facing many of these right now. So when you say that we're facing many of these right now, what does that mean? I believe we're at war. And I didn't start out thinking that way. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, a nutcase. You know, I'm not approaching this at all from a political point of view. It has to do with what I am seeing as a doctor. And I believe we are um, uh, facing um, a biological weapon, or at least I think that, that that's very possible and that much of this war is being fought as an information war and that organizations that are supposed to protect us are taking us over a cliff uh, with the wrong model of COVID spread. And they're they're disseminating wrong information designed to encourage us to self-destruct by embracing the wrong model of disease spread and doing everything they can to frighten us into believing in safety measures that absolutely don't work. And, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of well-intended leaders are committing the cardinal COVID sin, which is to uh, pretend they know what they don't know. They're falling for the misdirection by you know, some really bad people. And I believe that WHO is, and corrupt medical bureaucrats are, are at the, the forefront of this. And why am I saying this? Europe is exploding right now. It, and I've been talking about this for months, even before it exploded. Um, it began in August when we were supposed to have a reprieve from COVID. Now 27 European nations have reached all-time COVID highs, all-time since the beginning of the crisis, and it's all happened in the past six weeks. The safety measures aren't working. 
you know, the masks, the social distancing, the protective barriers, the quarantines, all the things that they're telling us to stay safe are not keeping us safe. Paris this week will run out of hospital beds. And, and what is coming our way is what's happening in Europe right now. It's a bellwether. Even Canada, which has, uh, and I'll talk about absolute humidity in a moment, they have lower absolute humidity. They are also a bellwether. Last week, they had one single day, and I verified it on the official Canadian website, where there was an overnight jump of 415% in daily new COVID cases. And, um, you know, they have reached an all-time high. So that's coming here very soon. It's already starting to show up in uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, many of the, the Midwestern states. And uh, we can do something about it. So what's fruitful for, fruitful for us to talk about right now? Is it simply what we need to be doing instead? Um, yes. The, it's, it's a mindset and it's actions, actual tangible um, steps that we can do to stay safe. And, and so um, the, the big picture is leadership that is smart, noble, and unafraid to question with uncompromising integrity and exquisite clarity. And, and so leaders, business leaders, political leaders, community leaders must question everything. And so the goal is to get our lives back by making indoor spaces safer again. COVID mass spread occurs indoors. It does not occur outdoors. There's no evidence in the world literature of, to my knowledge, of a single case of mass spread outdoors. And there's a reason for this. And it all comes down to the model. So there's a different kind of herd immunity. You know, we've heard, all heard about herd immunity. Um, and it may prove to be more important than the herd immunity we hear about related to vaccines or, you know, which is about enough people in the population getting infected to make, you know, the population immune. That's one type of herd immunity, um, which is the one we know. And that's, it's, it's called adaptive or humoral immunity, and it's related to antibodies. The problem with this type of herd immunity is that we don't know how long the immunity will last. And if there's a bad mutation, um, uh, the benefit of that type of herd immunity and vaccines and therapeutics may be wiped out. And so if, if COVID is in fact a weapon, uh, who's to say there aren't an inventory of um, other strains of the virus that could be released and undermine the adaptive or acquired herd immunity? So. The other kind of herd immunity is the only thing that will help us short of a vaccine. And even, even uh, if there is a vaccine and, there, and a mutation hits and that immunity is, um, is what's keeping hundreds of millions of people and entire nations safe right now. It's called innate immunity or cell mediated immunity. And, and so, um, that type of immunity is always on. It, it's, um, it doesn't have to be learned like adaptive or humoral immunity, um, uh, which is acquired through production of antibodies. Um, it, uh, it turns out that 
um, that that immunity is is um, in our respiratory tract, and it's turned on when we breathe air indoors that it has an absolute humidity of 10 or above, which approximates to an indoor relative humidity of 50 to 60 percent. I'll talk more about that in a second, but um, uh, when when you look at nations like Hong Kong is a perfect example. Can I just share briefly about that versus New York City? So they both, New York and Hong Kong have about the same population and the same land mass. And Hong Kong was receiving people from Wuhan, just like New York City, when the pandemic struck, but they never got hit. I mean, uh, they have lost 105 people since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, New York City, one second. New York City has lost over 24,000 people. Um, Thailand, 70 million people, 59 deaths. Taiwan, about 24 million people, seven deaths. Japan, 126 million people. It's lost about 1,600. Um, and, and so what all these have in common, South Korea, Indonesia, Bangladesh and Haiti, where there are no social distancing, there's no high technology or money for good health care. All, what all these places have in common is related to something called absolute humidity, which is not a term that we've heard of before. It, it's very simple, though. It is the amount of water in the air we breathe. It's not the capacity of the air to hold water, which is relative humidity. So it's not related to temperature. And when it is a certain level, and this has been beautifully worked out by scientists at Yale, um, it, it turns on an entire system of natural immunity in our respiratory tract, which um, uh, activates hundreds of genes against the virus through interferon, activates what's called the mucociliary transport mechanism and, uh, and creates um, mucus that is like Kevlar against COVID that prevents the virus from getting in. And so back to herd immunity, what is herd immunity? It's, it's a firewall against mass spread. And so if you have enough people with cell mediated immunity that's activated by breathing safer indoor air, it blocks mass spread just like herd immunity from antibodies. And no one's talking about it, but but the, the facts are clear that it, it's working. And the other factor in this is vitamin D. So it turns out that in mid-April, we discovered that, that uh, vitamin D, which is not a vitamin at all, it's a hormone that optimizes cell-mediated immunity, as it turns out, was making the difference between life and death. If people were low on vitamin D, went into a hospital with COVID, they have up to a 96% chance of never coming out alive. And it's so darn simple to correct. No one is going to make any money off any of this. It's all very simple measures. So um, uh, what, uh, to understand all this, it's important that we understand the model. 
So may I share a little bit about the model quickly? Please. So there's a lot of confusion when we hear that COVID may be airborne. It's all airborne. It, it does not appear to be spread by touching things or eating food with virus on it. It goes through the air. But when you drill down on it, the two models are that one is, is what's called person-to-person -person spread, meaning it's like a baseball where you, it's micro droplets, which I think is not the model. But the micro droplet concept is that it's like throwing a baseball where you have a droplet that has mass and velocity and it uh, goes a certain distance and then falls to the ground via gravity. And the micro droplets are large enough that you can actually block them with a mask. Uh, protective barriers may help. Um, uh, social distancing means you can get far enough away from them that they will drop to the ground before they reach you. And the problem is that none of that's working. And, and I believe it's because the model is not micro droplet, but aerosol, which means a, a cloud of submicron particles that don't fall to the ground by gravity. They float for hours and days. They can go hundreds of feet across large spaces. They can go around corners, down halls, through the ventilation system from floor to floor. And so the idea here is that, that they're not spread from person to person by someone coughing or talking. They're, a person emits virus in an aerosol. They're submicron particles. They float and you get the virus by walking into a space where there's virus everywhere. And the reason why people in places with higher absolute humidity are not getting the virus uh, or why the, I'm saying, let me correct that. It's not that you can't get it. It's not a cure, but mass spread is the objective here. Limiting mass spread. That's what's shutting down societies, what's overwhelming hospital systems, what's scaring us. And, and so the mass spread is mitigated when the absolute humidity is above or 10 or above because it makes for this other type of herd immunity. You have a firewall. It doesn't spread person to person like it does in dry indoor air. Now, why does COVID not spread outdoors? Because aerosols are immediately diluted when outdoors. Now, why haven't we been hearing that? You know, it's obvious to most people now with all these uh, protests that you're not, there have been no upticks related to the protests. And, um, and that's based on solid science. We're not being told because we're in a politicized environment where, you know, we're, it's like an information war. And, um, and uh, there are people that don't want us to know that. They want us to be afraid. Imagine how different things would look right now if we were told early on what they've known from very early on, which is that it doesn't spread outdoors, the restaurant industry, the tourism industry, you know, just our daily lives, you know, not being afraid to be outdoors would make all the difference in the world. It doesn't matter how low the absolute humidity is outdoors because there is not enough virus to get in, you know, to have mass spread. It's dissipated, diluted. So that's, that's, that's why just because the outdoors is, is, is this limitless space. And so the, exactly. so the clouds don't form and cluster. 
they dissipate. Yeah, they, they disappear almost immediately. Because there's no place. Okay. And inside, yeah. there's really nowhere for them to go. So they just hang exactly. out. Exactly. So can I share some hopeful news? Sure. Please. Okay. So yesterday, <laughs> For God's sakes, yes. A big, a big day. So there's a town called Roma, Texas, which is the first town in the world that is installing a visual network of viral safety. And what that means is... Can you hang on one second? I'm sorry. A, a humidifier just went off in the background. So I'm practicing what I preach. Um, the uh, What this visual network does is it, it visualizes hope. It shows in critical infrastructure what the absolute humidity is, and it's colorimetric. So when it's green, that means it's 10 or above. And so as of yesterday, every school in Roma, Texas installed a purple air sensor, which um, worked with me to create this technology to visualize hope. And by the way, I have no financial interest in it. It's it's an air pollution sensor company that just happened to measure the real-time metrics required to calculate absolute humidity. And they have these sensors all over the world, and many of them are indoors. And you can see viral safety indoors. It's amazing. So um, the, uh, the mayor's office, the police station, a doctor's office, a dental office, uh, soon the county courthouse, nursing homes, the hospital right now has a purple air sensor. You can, it, it's just remarkable to see a town which is showing America how to go on offense against the virus because we can now see the enemy and the enemy is dangerously dry indoor air. And by making the air uh, safer indoors, we activate this other form of herd immunity which doesn't require us to get infected, doesn't require a vaccine, and works even if there's a mutation. And it costs next to nothing. So that's the hope uh, that we uh, are able to uh, get businesses all over America and the world to reopen safely and public buildings to reopen safely by elevating their indoor humidity into a range that creates this innate herd immunity. Excellent. All right. So I think that what you've just said is extremely reasonable. It, it, it makes sense to me. Let's say that, uh, let's say theoretically, Jeff, that I live in Phoenix, which is very much at risk for what you've just described. Cause yes. I do, I, 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 I do live here in Phoenix yeah. and I've got two young kids and my wife and people that I care about. Can I, yes. if it, let's just, let, let me just use a scenario. If I were able to, to elevate the level of humidity to 70% inside my house and then they leave and they go into different environments, do mm -hmm. they keep the, that, that innate immunity or does it turn off and on? That's a great question. First, I wouldn't elevate to 70 because you can get black mold. 50 to 60 okay. is where you want to be. And you can go above 60, you know, on, you know, for a while, it's, you know, for hours 55. or a day or two, it's not going to hurt, but you don't want to leave it above 60. So 50 to 60, 65 in that range is, is going to be perfect. And 
So uh, what this does is it protects people in your home, protects your family, visitors from mass spread. Does it protect them when they leave, especially in Arizona? Uh, maybe for a little bit, but not long. So there are measures you can do, though, to help when you go from your home to other places. First, I would suggest everyone purchase an inexpensive digital hygrometer. The, the one that I'm using, and I have no ties to the company, it's a $12 item on Amazon. It's made by Govee, G-O-V-E-E. And you don't go into places that are not 50 or above. You can go in for a minute or two, let the sensor measure uh, the humidity, but you don't want your kids or your wife or those you love and care about to go into places that are dangerously dry. And you never know. I mean, there are a lot of places that are doing the right thing and have been for years because they're following ASHRAE guidelines. That's the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration and Air Conditioning Engineers. And they have known, along with a lot of virology literature dating back decades, that humidity is a non-pharmaceutical antiviral. In fact, there's a Mayo Clinic paper from 2018 that uses those terms. It's, that's the headline. This, the title of the article is Indoor Humidity as a Non-Pharmaceutical Antiviral. So you carry a hygrometer and then hydrate five or 10 minutes before you go into a building outside your home. Carry some bottled water or Gatorade. And by hydrating, same thing if you're up in an airplane, hydrate before you get on during the flight and after, because even though you're drinking it into your, you know, through your gut, the hydration rapidly moves to your respiratory tract and helps to activate the innate immunity. And then make sure that everyone that you love and care about in your nuclear family, in your extended family, your friends, urge them all to get tested for vitamin D. You cannot know if you're safe just by winging it. I've been taking vitamin D for 20 years, a couple thousand units. I got tested several weeks ago and I had been taking double that amount for several months and I was still dangerously low and I'm not obese. I work out seven miles a day and you can't, you can't know, you can't feel it. Hmm. And so you want to be in the range like the humidity of 50 to 60 in the case of vitamin D it's nanograms per milliliter. Don't listen to your doctor if they tell you you're fine ask them what the number is because as a doctor who didn't know about this until the springtime i've never ordered a vitamin d as an er doc we just think of vitamin d as related to postmenopausal women and bone density but it's critically important with viral respiratory infection and covid and so it it's got to be the, the ranges are wrong they're from an older era you want to be 50 to 60. It's critically important on who gets COVID and if you get it, who ends up in an ICU and dying. It's that important. Understood. So I can you you, you mentioned you have a humidifier in the house. Can I yes. can I effectively do what you're describing? Raise it to 50 to 60 percent with with yes. just a, a off the shelf humidifier. 
Yes. So uh, some quick advice there. First, many modern homes and, and a lot of commercial buildings have the ability right now to just ch change the dial. And I would set your humidity if, if you have that capability at 55%. I have a friend who put in a purple air sensor into his home and he had that capability. And when you look at his sensor, and it's always perfect. It's set it and forget it. And if you don't have that capability for not much money, you can install what's called a whole home humidifier and talk to your HVAC company. Uh, they're often uh, steam humidifiers. And again, you set it and forget it. They're, you know, like you can get them on Amazon for around $700 for up to 6,200 square foot home. <laughs> Um, if you uh, want to have a portable humidifier, that's the least expensive way to do it. That's what I'm doing. Uh, you can buy at Home Depot, Amazon, Sears, any number of places, portable humidifiers. I would buy an evaporative, not an ultrasonic humidifier, only because ultrasonic can put out calcium into the air and gets on your furniture and your clothes and it's a mess. They're, they're safe, but they're messy. Um, an evaporative humidifier, I'm using a brand called Air Care. And in fact, I'm happy to send you in the show notes what I'm using. And I would recommend that you have at least two of them because by having two, it helps to smooth out the fluctuations and it keeps the humidity in, a, uh, in the range you want to be. And then I would buy one of these inexpensive hygrometers and place it 10 or 15 feet at least away from the humidifier so that it's picking up on the average of the humidity in your home, not real close to the humidifier, which will be higher. And then buy a little bit of bacteriostatic solution, put a capful in when you refill the humidifier. And so what I have, I fill every two, three days, and uh, then it's it, otherwise they're automated. It's very simple. And, it, and they cost a little over $100 each for, um, for these devices. So it's excellent. Yeah. If, if, if you would send me the specs on, on the air care that you have, I'd be curious also about the bacterial static solution you just mentioned and then yes. the digital hygrometer. I'll list those in send the notes of the show. Yes. Can I just uh, share a few mindset things? Yeah. Um, so, I think that we have to set our expectations right. And that first that we're in a marathon versus a sprint. And we, we have to be humble and open-minded, not arrogant and close-minded. We have to be open to everything. That's the way ER docs keep their patients safe, is to be humble. I've learned that the hard way over the years, you know, you, because otherwise you, you get, you know, uh, you get surprised and and it's it's about you know being open and considering asking questions question everything checks and balances um and then uh we need to know what we know what we don't know and what we need to know as leaders in particular for example the airline industry it turns out that airliners are probably one of the safest places to be during this COVID crisis. Why? Because the cabin, the pressurized cabin has replacement of the entire volume of air every two to three minutes and it goes through HEPA filter. And to my knowledge, there's not a single known case 
you know, there's some misinformation, but in terms of documented cases of mass spread on airplanes, I don't know of any. And and neither when I met with the uh, uh, vice president of safety for American Airlines, and when I met with uh, uh, the editor in chief of one of the uh, major world publications uh, for the aviation industry, neither of them knew of a single case. And it turns out a study was recently released in the past week from Department of Defense that verified all this. You, it just doesn't happen on airlines. Now, what if we had known that? If, they, if the airline industry was asking the right questions, pushing for the right studies, being aware of what they knew, what they didn't know, and what they needed to know early on, they would have pushed for these studies and saved thousands and tens of thousands of jobs. That makes and sense. I, yeah. So we have to question everything. So um, I'm just picturing my conversation with my kid's school uh, about how we need to make sure that, that the humidity in, in, in my kid's classroom is at 55 and them saying, well, why? And then me trying to explain what we've just talked about. Is there a study that, that, that I could share with them? Yes. Great question. There, there are several, and they're from Mayo. Very bona fide information. They're related to flu. It's before COVID, but uh, and also send you a video from a Harvard doc that quotes these studies and that show that uh, school absenteeism goes way down, like 75% when they humidify the indoor air. Double-blinded, randomized, controlled studies. It's great. Okay. And, and so I'll put those, uh, I'll put those in the notes and, as and well. And the other thing is that, that what you're asking for is not rocket science. It's not exotic. It's, it's information that has been out there for years by standard setting organizations. It, it, it's what DFW airport's doing right now. It's what the elegant North park mall in Dallas is doing right now. And I'm sure same in Arizona. It's, it's, it's safe, it's not controversial, and it's saving hundreds of millions of people from the pandemic. Japan, last, last thought here on, on, as an example. So unlike Hong Kong, Japan during the winter, same with South Korea, has very dangerously low absolute humidity outdoors. But they have been following ASHRAE guidelines for years. They didn't get hit, and we did. <laughs> And they, in particular, did that in their healthcare facilities. Well, there you go, Jeff. This has been fascinating and and so valuable. I'm going to, as soon as I have the specs on uh, on what you've shared, buy everything and and, and make sure that it's set up every, every, everywhere that uh, that I can get it. So, I will list all those in the notes. Where can people learn more about you, Jeff? Thank you for asking. Um, they can go to my LinkedIn page, Jeff Gusky, G-U-S-K-Y, and I'm posting updates, trying to keep people informed. There's a lot of material on this. There are studies, there's you know, 50 some research papers, there is uh, video, there's practical information. And, uh, and also, to the extent that we will soon, I believe, be facing an enormous crisis where there'll be a, a, a rush towards wanting to do what Roma, Texas is doing. You know, I'm available to, you know, to advise cities and, and help uh, uh, entities 
to make these transitions. There are, there's a re-education that we need to do, and it's all very simple stuff, but we have to unravel a lot of fear and to get sober about what we're facing. And if we do that, we're going to be fine. We really will. Love it. Appreciate that. All right. Um, so, well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, uh, please do share the show with um, with everybody that you know because this is obviously extremely valuable information. You'll find everything that Jeff and I just talked about in the notes of the show as well. And then check out Jeff's LinkedIn page for all the updates. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Bye-bye, George. Be safe. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.